This is what you're fighting for. I mean, every day you're out there. What they're doing is blowing people off. If you continue to look the other way and shut up, then the oppressors, the authoritarians get total control and total power. Because this is just like in Arizona. This is just like in Georgia. It's another element that backs them into a quarter and shows their lies and misrepresentations. This is why this audience is going to have to get engaged. As we've told you, this is the fight. All this nonsense, all this spin, they can't handle the truth. War Room Battleground. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Okay, welcome uh, to our second hour. It is uh, Monday, 24 July, Year of Alert 2023. I thought we'd be doing all House stories this week. They're coming back, I think, tonight or tomorrow. They start voting tomorrow. They're only here for a couple of days, and it's going to be one firefight after the next. We'll be involved in it. I believe, just for my staff, I think that the UFO briefing is Wednesday. Thank you very much. for the had a little cross wires there. We're going to get Birchett on, I think, tomorrow to go through this. And this is, if you think the, FB, F, the UFO thing's a misdirection play, my point, I made this at the speech at Turning Point, we need all this information. The, the American people need to be treated as adults. All the information should come out immediately, and you make the judgment. We're going to get into all that tomorrow and the next day. One of my favorite, um, I guess, websites, news sites is LifeSite News, and one of the reasons they have guys like Stephen Mosher that write over there. I mean, the team over there is just incredible, and the types of stories they break. Stephen, um, I want to talk about this piece, and if Memphis can please get it up as I bring Stephen on. Stephen, and I want to say, uh, it, it, in this deal with the Chinese Communist Party, the secret deal, the first phase, I think it was done in 2019 and announced because I was at the Vatican for the uh, conference on the, the pedophilia. And they announced this, I think, to kind of take the emphasis off that. The secret deal was leaked or announced then. And I gave a uh, an hour, I gave interviews all over, but I did an hour special from the roof of the convent that overlooks St. Peter's Square. Your update on this, um, on this story goes back to what my concerns were at the very beginning. It's not just a humiliation for the church. It's got to be a crushing blow to Lao Beijing, to these dedicated uh Christians in this oppression in mainland China. Can you walk us through the humiliation of the Catholic Church at the hand of the Chinese Communist Party, sir? Well, it, it's worse than humiliation. It's the absolute crushing and destruction of the Catholic Church in China, which is not a recent import. There have been Catholics in China for hundreds and hundreds of years, uh, going back to, to the Middle Ages. Uh, the Sino-Vatican Agreement was signed in 2018. It was extended in 2020. For reasons unknown, it was extended again in 2022. And now it is, in effect, a dead letter. It's a dead letter because uh, Pope Francis has caved. He has accepted an obviously compromised man, a Bishop Shun, as the Bishop of Shanghai. And I say Bishop Shun is compromised. I can't read his mind, but I say he's compromised because he's the... Uh, the head of the Catholic Patriotic Bishops Conference, the, the Bishops Conference organized by and run by the United Front Department of the Chinese Communist Party, which, of course, is very hostile to all religion and represents an officially atheistic Communist Party. He is also formerly the head, the vice, the vice chairman of the uh, Catholic Patriotic uh, Conference of all Catholics in China. So he's been he's been Beijing's man. He's been the CCP's man for a long time. 
Now, the way the secret agreement was supposed to work, uh, and we understand, uh, we haven't seen the agreement, but this is what we were led to understand how it would work, was that Beijing would propose a candidate, that's bad uh, right off the get-go, and then the Pope would have a veto. He would say, no, I don't accept him, uh, you have to come up with somebody else. Now, that put the Pope in a weak position to begin with, but I think he was counting on the goodwill, <laughs> the good intentions of the Chinese Communist Party, uh, that they could reach an agreement on bishops. And there was a desperate need for bishops in China. There are 104 dioceses uh, recognized by the Chinese Communist Party. Why we let them draw the diocesan supporters, I don't know, but they do. And about 40 of them were missing bishops. And so I think Pope Francis was led to believe that this agreement would allow him to appoint dozens and dozens of bishops for MTCs to meet the sacramental needs of Catholics. Well, it hasn't happened. We've hang, seen hang on, hang on, Stephen. Whoa, 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 Stephen, hang on, hang on. The, the, Catholic, the Catholic Patriotic Association, wherever they call it, that's the state-sanctioned or the state-approved Catholic Church Absolutely. that's always been questioned as running dogs for the CCP. You have an underground Catholic church. And what people in the audience should know that are not Catholic, the evangelicals, the Christian faith, whether practiced as evangelical Christians or some organized form of, of Christianity or organized church or Catholicism is, I would argue there are probably more Christians and Catholics combined underground in China, mainland China, than there are in the United States practicing. And she has said on many occasions, this he thinks is his number one threat to his regime. It, 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 am I cl- is, are those facts accurate, Stephen? Yeah, absolutely. There's been a huge spread of Christianity in China over the last 20 years. A minister of education told a friend of mine 10 years ago there were probably more Christians in China than members of the Chinese Communist Party. There are 94 million members of the Chinese Communist Party. So that would mean over 100 million Christians. You add... Uh, the the Catholics, uh, Christians, evangelicals, the home churches together. You've got a huge force in China. And, and we know that Chinese Communist parties don't like any organization to exist outside of the control of the party itself, not the family, not mediating institutions of any kind, not church groups, certainly. This is an officially atheistic regime, but really it wants people to worship itself. The Chinese Communist Party runs a quasi-religion. It has its own sacraments. It has its own liturgy. It has its own acolytes, some members of the Chinese Communist Party. And you're supposed to belong to the communist-run Church of China. You're not supposed to be a Catholic or a Christian. For that matter, you're not supposed to be a Taoist or a Buddhist or a Muslim or anything else. Xi Jinping has said, Go ahead. Go ahead, sir. Any religion, Xi Jinping, December 21, said this, China's dictator, any religion that does not teach its members to love the party and socialism is a, quote unquote, backward religion engaged in illegal religious activities and will be stamped out. So that's that's the, uh, the approach did, to Xi Jinping. Didn't Cardinal Zen, understanding that, and Cardinal Zen, one of the holiest men in the world and had been a fighter at, when he was... Uh, the head of the Hong Kong church in finding this, didn't he at the age, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think he was 90, get on a plane and fly back to the Vatican to talk about the about the, the problems with the McCarrick 
negotiated. McCarrick the pet, was such a pedophile, yeah. such a yeah. out-of-control, degenerate pedophile, that they had to take him away. He was the American Pope. They had to take defrock him, and he's now in an old age home somewhere in Kansas, laicized, because he was so depraved. He negotiated this deal that Cardinals then got on a plane to go to the Vatican to tell the Pope exactly what was going to happen in far, as far as eventually the consecration of these bishops. And he wouldn't see him. For two weeks, he sat there. He would not see him. And finally, at the end, he saw him for like five minutes, patted him on the head and said, we've got this, and wouldn't even let him see the document. Um, Cardinal Zen knew this. Everybody knew this. In fact, when I was there, and it might have been in 18, for, for the conference on pedophilia, the biggest thing the church was fighting, the official church was, you couldn't have uh, you couldn't have lay members have any kind of uh, say-so in the running of the church, particularly you could never have the lay people at all in a parish ever uh, ha- throw their two cents in on who should be bishops, because that deal is run by the Vatican, except in mainland China, where they're prepared to turn it over to the CCP, and, and, and Zen and, and War Room and everybody at the time said, hey, this is going to lead you to an absolute church that's 1,000% controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. Aren't those facts uh, line up, do they not, sir? Oh, a- absolutely, Steve. It was 2018. I, I met with the Vatican Secretary of State uh, for an hour. Uh, Cardinal Perlin was kind enough to meet with me. I told him the Chinese Communist Party would violate the agreement before the ink was dry on the paper. I told him that the Communist Party would use the agreement to force Catholics to either uh, join the Patriotic Catholic Church, run by the Communist Party, by the way, or go to jail. Uh, I told him that it would be a disaster for the church, and the ultimate goal of the party was to crush the church in China. He listened to me for an hour, uh, to his credit, and then he said, well, the agreement has already been negotiated. We're just waiting for the Chinese side to sign it. And I knew that I had failed to move him off the dime. Uh, The agreement has now been revealed to be an absolute disaster. The Pope has been forced to accept as a bishop of Shanghai, the most important see in all of China, with the most Catholics in all of China, and many, many Christians decide, someone who is obviously compromised by the Chinese Communist Party and will lead the the church down in whatever direction the party wants it to go. Uh, Bear in mind, people need to know that the Communist Party is, for example, rewriting the Bible in China uh, so that the story of the woman caught in adultery does not end with our Lord saying, go and sin no more. Uh, It ends with our Lord picking up a rock and stoning the woman to death himself. It is a disgrace. It is a despicable rewrite of the Bible, which is the only Bible, the Communist Party Bible now, that will be allowed to be sold in China, intended to destroy the faith of the people in China. This is an all-out assault on freedom of conscience in China, a freedom of religion in China. And, uh, and we need to know that the goal of the Sino-Vatican Agreement, the end goal of the Communist Party, is not to allow um, a separate safe space for Catholics to worship in China or Christians to worship in China. The ultimate goal is to crush the church in China entirely to prevent the people in China from spreading the faith to their children. The law is 
you cannot bring your own children to church in China. Anyone under 18 is not allowed to darken the doors of a church. There are plaques outside the doors of the churches saying no one under the age of 18 is allowed to enter. This is a complete surrender to the Chinese Communist Party, and uh, it has led to great evil in China and great, uh, great pain among Catholics who feel abandoned. The church in China, both the underground Catholic church and the underground evangelicals, what they call house churches, are more robust, more vibrant, more resilient than Christianity in the quite decadent West. Stephen Mosher, how do people get to you in your writing, sir? Uh, I'm at uh, pop.org, P-O-P.org. That's our website at the Population Research Institute. Uh, I'm on social media at Stephen W. Mosher. And uh, thanks for bringing attention to the plight of our co-religionists in China. They are suffering greatly. Greatly. Their prayers go out to them. Uh, Stephen, thank you very much. Honored to have you on here. Always a pleasure. Let's play. we got Todd Benzman. Uh, As Todd Benzman warns you now for over a month on this show alone, there's something brewing down on the Texas border and on the Rio Grande. Let's go and play the cold open. We're going to bring Todd in. The state of Texas is now facing a lawsuit after it refused to comply with the DOJ deadline to remove a thousand foot wall of buoys from the Rio Grande. Uh, The DOJ sent Texas that warning letter last month arguing that the floating barrier meant to stop migrant crossings. It's not authorized by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and it violates federal law and presents uh, several humanitarian concerns. In response to this letter, uh, the Texas governor tweeted just a couple of hours ago, quote this, Mr. President, Texas, we'll see you in court. Joining me now, NBC News Homeland Security correspondent uh, Julia Ainsley, who has more on this. I think the overarching question here, Julia, is what happens now? Lots of back and forth here. Where does this go? Looks like a lawsuit. I mean, they've now passed the 2 p.m. deadline. There was no commitment from Texas Governor Greg Abbott to remove those buoys. In fact, he doubled down, saying it was well within his state's rights to try to do more to combat immigration than he argues the Biden administration has done. Although if you look at the numbers, it's easy to counter that and show that even though they've spent billions on this project, they actually haven't been able to interdict that many migrants because essentially this is a federal law that falls to federal agents. But what this means is that Likely, we should now hear the DOJ keep good on its promise and actually take Texas to court. And Abbott said, we'll see you in court. We're expecting this to now be a showdown. It's interesting. It's kind of like the shoes on the other foot here, Jasmine, because time and time again, we've seen Texas lead other Republican-led states to sue the Biden administration over their immigration policies. Now we have the federal government suing Texas over its immigration policies because they say not only is this inhumane, they've seen, they think this will lead to more drownings of migrants. They've also seen the concertina wire that Texas has put up among this along the section of the border has led to a lot of medical problems, a lot of people being cut by this wire. Uh, They say it's also not only inhumane, but it's impeding some of their work there because border agents are now having to stop to render medical aid rather than do their work along the border. So this is really teeing up to be a case that could be a political showdown as Texas Governor Greg Abbott tries to show that he is able to do more on immigration than the Biden administration. Okay, Um, I want to make sure everybody in this audience understands that it's 100 percent because of the Patriots in Texas putting pressure on Greg Abbott because this is not a tough guy. He does not want to do this. He's doing this completely for political expediency because the citizens 
of the Lone Star State are demanding it, and also obviously people around the country. Todd Bensman, you gave us a heads up on this, I think four or five, six weeks ago. Get us up to date on, on exactly what's happening now. What you're seeing is a lot of liberal pushback uh, against the measures that Greg Abbott has put in place because those doing the pushback understand that it is working. Uh, as they, the old saying goes, uh, you're not taking flack unless you're flying over the target, dropping bombs uh, that are working. I think that's what you're seeing. You're seeing a lot of liberal ginning up of, a, of, a, of an opposition narrative against the Texas governor, against that barbed wire, uh, against the buoy system, uh, against the, the Abbott's pushback, uh, you know, hold the line policy where they're acting kind of like uh, NFL linemen, not letting anybody through. You're getting a lot of allegations that are uh, patently untrue, just completely fraudulent allegations that are getting a lot of traction in the liberal media. And all of this we've seen a bunch of times. We saw it primarily when Trump was trying to put his wall in, the big, beautiful wall. You started to see all these um, you know, critics come out of the woodwork saying, it won't work, it'll never work. But if it doesn't work and you actually believe it doesn't work, why don't you just stay home and never lift a, raise your voice about it? And I think that's what's happening. You're seeing a lot of people raise their voice about what Texas is doing right now because they know in their heart of hearts, at the bottom of their guts, that this is working and it's a threat to open borders. And I think that's what we're seeing. We're going to see a lot more of that. This hang, 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 hang on. Help. Hang on. Hang on. Let me go back to you said something. I want you to back it up. You're saying there's a bunch of allegations about what DPS is doing that are untrue. And that's getting a lot of volume. Just walk me through a couple of those that you think are the top ones that are allegations you know for a fact because you've been there are untrue, but the left-wing media and the open borders crowd are pushing these as fact, sir. For example, the Houston Chronicle came out with a piece, a hit piece about a week ago that claims uh, that the Texas DPS has submerged barrels that are wrapped in razor wire so that they'll cut migrants who can't see them as they're swimming across or walking across. Uh, that is untrue. There has been investigation about the allegations and nobody can find any evidence of anything like this. The administration over there is saying we would never ever, nor did we ever order any kind of like uh, razor wire submerged razor wire traps. Uh, there are allegations now that the uh, Texas troopers are being really mean and hitting the uh, pregnant women and pushing them into the water with their holding their babies and that kind of thing. Um, I've seen no evidence of that. The uh, state of Texas has seen no evidence of that. But the uh, media, mainstream media, uh, is just going with those, going crazy with those allegations, uh, building a narrative to the point where Sheila Jackson Lee brought it up uh, at, a, at a border hearing just last week saying, what about that they're doing these things without any evidence whatsoever? Uh, those have been debunked. And you can't kill these narratives on the, on the regular media once they're out there. It's very difficult to kill those, those narratives. Those are just a couple. How dug in is Ab Abbott because of the political 
because people have his back there. I mean, and, and this audience particularly has been outraged, and they're finally glad that DPS is doing something. And we know all the sheriffs down there on the border, particularly Rio Grande Valley and other parts of South Texas, want to do something. How dug in is Texas right now? Are they going to fight this one to the bitter end? Yeah, they're dug in. Uh, from everything I'm hearing, I have sources close to the administration. Uh, from everything I'm hearing, they're they're dug in. They're ready to go to war, uh, legal war, uh, and we'll see what happens. And I think they'll they'll want to see what happens too, because you know if ultimately Texas's right to put uh, marine barriers is upheld, maybe by the Supreme Court. Uh, that's kind of a big deal. That that says a lot about what a state can do, and they'll be feeling free to expand on that uh, marine barrier. Uh, remember, they always said that Trump's wall would never work. Why are you doing this? All of a sudden, everybody became a fiscal conservative. All these liberals became uh, fiscally conservative. We're wasting money on things that don't work because they know in their heart of hearts that walls work to a great extent on a whole lot of problems. Uh, and that that they just didn't want that. And they're saying the same thing about the marine barrier. You know, it'll never work. It's a waste of money. You're wasting our money. But I've never known any any of these same liberals who are complaining about the money to have been like really supercharged about you know government finances. Uh, you know, being efficient with our tax. Dollars. <laughs> Todd, Todd, let me give you. Sound of Freedom has been such a massive hit. $125 million it blew through. It's continuing to grow. Sold out theaters. Make sure you go to Sound of Freedom uh, or angel.com slash forum to get your tickets. Take people. Take everybody. And then talk about it afterwards. Have a cup of coffee. Have an adult beverage. Discuss the film and push it out. There's all this discussion. We had Liz Yorn earlier. We've had people the last couple of days. The 300,000 unaccompanied minors and particularly the... Um, uh, the 85,000 that the whistleblower says are are, are missing. Um, how big a deal is it now Justice Department is, is, is taking down the stuff on the website about international trafficking of children? How big, from your reporting, and we heard, you know, we had the whistleblower for, on the, on the um, uh, you know, James O'Keefe Media Group, but his whistleblower came out, was a DHS person, I think, said there's all these brothels in the general Houston area. You've been down there with the, with the colonias or the, clon the colonial things where people, the cops won't even go into. How big is this issue of child trafficking or trafficking of women for sex or the child trafficking, particularly the fact where the little kid's got something in his pocket, it's got a number on it, they call it, they don't check anybody. How big an issue is that right now? Well, I mean, I have to fall back on DHS documents, probably the very ones that they're pulling off the web right now that say that this, I mean, as recently as 2021, that this is a $150 billion a year international industry. Uh, sex trafficking in children and young women and women. Uh, I'm going with that. I'm sorry that they're taking it down, uh, but guess what? They do have something called the Wayback Machine. I don't know what they're thinking. Uh, but also, um, you know, I'm in possession right now of two very recent uh, Biden DOJ prosecutions that are active right now of child sex trafficking in the Houston area. Big ring, uh, court records up the wazoo, uh, showing the horrors uh, that were depicted in the movie. I just saw the movie myself a couple nights ago. And then there's another Biden court uh, prosecution right now uh, about a, a 
a bar in Mission, Texas, where the owner and her son, you know, tricked a bunch of women, young 16-year-old girls to come over the border uh, illegally, and they're going to work, and they turned them into sex slaves and went on for 12 years like that until they finally got caught, and now they're being prosecuted by the Biden uh, DOJ. My point in mentioning that the Biden administration is the one prosecuting these cases right now, and I will write about these here soon, as soon as I get a, a chance, uh, is that it's real. It's actually happening. Uh, in Texas, in Houston, the court records say, and I've read them all, it's a horror story that probably should have been the real movie. Uh, the, the movie itself, um, you know, I just saw it, and um, you, know, you, you have to appreciate that it drew attention to this major human scourge. But I will say that if people are looking for a way to act on it, what they ought to be doing is hammering your congressmen and women uh, and your senators to force the Biden administration to re-implement, to reinstall rapid DNA testing at the southern border. Uh, on May 31st, they put the final stake in the heart of rapid DNA testing. That was the only thing that stood between adults bringing children over the border that weren't theirs and posing as a family group because family groups all get in, quick release right into the country. Uh, and inexplicably, the administration on, on right after inauguration in April uh, really pared back what the Biden administration was doing there. It had, I mean, the Trump administration uh, had been doing. They had ended fake families uh, the smuggling of children over that border with this DNA testing. And then they killed it all together in May of, of this year. And I don't see a word about it. Why would they, why would they do that? Why would they kill it? Why would they kill rapid DNA testing? I'll tell you why. Because it takes about 45 minutes for the results to come in. And that is too long for the administration, they want to move these people through as fast as possible so that there's not a big buildup in the centers for where they keep the, the kids and the families. And that's it. It just took a, it takes an extra 45 minutes. And they have to line them up. When they come in off the border, they put them in line to get their cheeks swabbed. That's how it worked. And right there in that line, half of them broke and said, OK, OK, you got me. That's not my kid. I mean, it was an it was amazing. Hang on, uh, hang, on, hang on, hang on one second. I'm going to just keep you through the break. Um, Caroline Wren also on $2 billion coming at you hard to steal the 2024 election. All next in the war room. Are you tired of progressive corporations and exhausted trying to keep up with all the virtue signaling when you're simply trying to buy products? Progressive corporate America continues to push messaging that further alienates conservative Americans, all while eroding the future of the American dream. It's prominent all over the country. Companies like Starbucks strong-arming their customers to support abortion. Financial services like PayPal canceling customers for their political views. 
makeup companies like Maybelline making a mockery of women by supporting transgender models, and beer companies like Bud Light forcing gender ideology on you when all you want is to enjoy a cold beer. Thankfully, we don't have to fund these companies any longer with our hard-earned dollars. With Public Square, we now have a solution. It's simple. Join the movement of millions of patriotic Americans who love truth, our country, and our Constitution at publicsq.com. That's publicsq.com. Public Square is an app and website where you can get connected to tens of thousands of businesses from all different industries that share your value for life, family, and freedom. Whether you're looking to buy coffee, find a new athletic clothing that knows what a woman is, and shop for clean skincare, or simply find a new restaurant in your community that won't lecture you about your political views, publicsq.com is your resource. Public Square also offers discounts to many high-quality businesses on the platform so that you can actually receive incentive for spending money with companies that don't hate you. Public Square is free to join as consumer or a business owner. And you can get started today at publicsq.com. Remember, either as a consumer or a business owner. Download the app now. That's publicsq.com. Publicsq.com. COVIDtaxrelief.org got a small retail business almost $80,000. COVIDtaxrelief.org got a manufacturing business nearly two hundred and fifty grand, And COVIDtaxrelief.org just got a large distribution business almost $900,000. If you run a business, church, or nonprofit and paid your employees through all or part of the pandemic, you could qualify for up to $26,000 per employee through the government's CARES Act. But beware of clickbait or pay upfront companies who make you do the work and take a huge percentage of your refund. COVIDtaxrelief.org receives a low reasonable commission only after you receive your refund. And with 300 CPAs and tax experts, no one is better at getting you the maximum benefit than COVIDtaxrelief.org. Visit COVIDtaxrelief.org now because this plan expires soon. That's COVIDtaxrelief.org, COVIDtaxrelief.org. The refund examples are not a guarantee and not all businesses qualify. That's why you have to check today with COVIDtaxrelief.org. Okay, imagine you're at your doctor's office. Your doctor glances up from the chart and says, and I quote, hey, Whatever you're doing, keep it up, end quote. Now, that's the Field of Greens Better Health Promise. Check out this customer testimonial. He said, and I want to quote here, I've been taking Field of Greens, and this is the second time my doctor has danced into the room praising my blood results. Credit where credit's due. Thanks, Field of Greens, end quote. Now, each fruit and vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected for a specific health benefit. Some support vital organs like heart, lungs, and kidneys. Others support metabolism for healthy energy and weight loss. If you're busy, if you don't get enough exercise, if you eat too much fast food, take Field of Greens. Look, Field of Greens can't promise your doctor will dance into your room, but they can promise at your next checkup, 
Your doctor will notice you improve health or you get your money back. Let me repeat that. You get your money back. I trust Field of Greens for my health, and you can too. Let me get you started with 15% off. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code Bannon. That's fieldofgreens.com, promo code Bannon. Take action today. Use your agency, fieldofgreens.com, promo code Bannon, and get the better health promise. War Room Battleground with Stephen K. Bannon. Okay, Bensman, there's too much good stuff here, and I want to keep it for another time. I'm announcing right now you're testifying on Wednesday. What uh, committee are you testifying in front of? It's a House Homeland Subcommittee on Border Security, uh, and it's also it's a joint co- uh, subcommittee hearing uh, with uh, counterterrorism and intelligence also. Okay, perfect. Uh, that's going to be at 2 p.m. approximately in the afternoon on Wednesday. Yes. Todd is going to join us after that on the evening show. Todd, until that time, and by the way, Burchett's going to be on. We're trying to get Burchett tomorrow. Burchett's big hearing is going to be on the UFOs on Wednesday. So a lot going on this week. Todd, where do people go to get this, uh, everything, all your writings on social media, and, of course, your book, Amazing, Overrun? Okay, yeah, so Overrun is available anywhere. Books are sold online, you know, anywhere. Uh, my social media is Benzman Todd at Twitter. Uh, Todd Benzman at Getter, and I'm also at uh, Truth Social. Todd, fantastic. Uh, congratulations on being called to testify, and I know you're working on your testimony, your opening statement. We're going to cover it wall-to-wall, sir, on Wednesday. Look forward to seeing you, brother. Thank you. Going to get Todd Benzman in the house, hopefully. That'll be special. Okay, I want to get, uh, I got Caroline Rent. Okay, Caroline, you got to help me out here. I don't even know where to start. I, and there's so many, it's such a target-rich environment. <laughs> do we start with Mitt Romney's op-ed in the Murdoch Control News, or do we go, maybe we hold the two billion, because that's reality check. That stops all the happy right. talk. And it makes sense, because right. you understand why Biden's not running. But let's, let's go to, let's start with, I want to start with the big donor confab. I mean, because you're, the, you're the, one of the interlinks between strategy and, and donor money. I want to talk about, um, the big donor confab out in Park City that cost him a fortune, the Mitt Romney right. op-ed, and even the club for, the club for uh, you know, Chinese growth that now is doing a Patriots, a Patriots pack, uh, anti-Trump Patriots pack for the, for the 20 uh, Patriots. Let, let's start with uh, DeSantis and Park City, ma'am. Do you, with the performance that you've seen out of this and the spending of the money and the, just, they should have taken money out in the, in the, front lawn and just dumped it on the lawn and burned it. How do, you, how do you even prepare for the thing in Park City? It was hilarious to me to read about a, a, a conference that they had where the campaign manager was apologizing for the overspending that they've been doing on the campaign while they were at a five-star resort in Deer Valley, actually, in fact, an even more expensive area of Park City. So just like picturing this going on of these donors sitting in this room being apologized to that we're no, no longer going to do these expensive events. If you've read, there was, I think, like 
nine different, you know, uh, DeSantis campaign reboot stories that I read this weekend that were all the exact same. And it's just hilarious to me that Politico, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post literally like ate up this garbage. But as they're talking about this donor, I just picture these donors in this room listening to this in a five-star resort, all expenses paid for, all the, all the food and drinks being paid for, about how they're cutting back spending and only going to do small events. It's not like thousands of people were showing up to DeSantis events anyway. He was only getting like 40 to 80 people at any one event that he was doing. So the, to blame the expenses thing on that is also a joke. But uh, the, the wasteful spending is is very real within this DeSantis campaign. In fact, I believe it was like over $220,000 a day that they have been spending on that campaign. To put that in perspective, like Scott Walker had to drop out by September 20th because he was spending $90,000 a, a day. I mean, the DeSantis campaign is spending three times that much to literally just plummet in the polls. So it's not looking good. And I'm not Let really feeling the, the reboot. But, but, but I want to walk. I, I want to go back to that math because give the audience some inside baseball. The problem he has is that the money they're raising are coming from people that are writing with a $3,300 check order. They're, they're maxed out, yeah. right? The hard federal dollars. They don't have a big grassroots online fundraising campaign because he's not connecting with people. It shows up in the polls. So when you burn through that kind of cash, that he has that. to spend an extraordinary, extraordinary amount of his time just getting on the plane and flying other places to shake down another 40, 50 donors. Isn't, isn't that the, the, um, the death cycle, the vicious cycle they're caught in now? Well, it's even worse than that because you can accept $3,300 for the primary, $3,300 for the general. So a donor can write $6,600, but you can only spend half of that. So 40% of the donations that came in were max out donations at that $6,600. Then you have to cut that in half. That's money they can't even touch for the primary election. So when they're talking about the why they ended up in this, like being insolvent within their campaign is like no one, I guess, was thinking through those, those parts of it. And if 40% of the donors in their original and the first, you know, they were only in, I think, six weeks into this race during that filing period and well all of your low-hanging fruit wrote max out donations so who are they going to now because he's now almost in single digits and I'm, i keep hearing about fundraisers that he's having they're struggling to get anyone there they're struggling to be able to raise money so i just think that this campaign is going to go bankrupt very quickly and i do think that the money that you're seeing going into some of these outside groups whether or not that's coke or club for growth people have to remember that if you are an investment banker or hedge fund manager you're not allowed to give to governors because governors manage pensions and if you're a hedge fund does anything to do with a governor's pension. There's a pay-to-play laws that exist there. I believe this is the money that was behind the $20 million transfer from the RGA into his PAC that happened right there in the last 90 days oh. of the campaign when DeSantis had $90 wow. million cash on hand and the RGA transferred $20 million to DeSantis who had, again, $90 million cash on hand. He was up 20 points. They did that in the last three months of his race. This is more money than was spent in Pennsylvania, Arizona, and Michigan combined by the RGA. Why did they do that? Because it was money being funneled through the hedge funds into DeSantis that is not legally allowed to be spent through other avenues. So I do think that's another thing that you're seeing. And that's why I think this money is also flowing through Club and Coke and these different groups, because it's to me, it's still pay to play. That's exactly what it is. Talk to me about Mitt Romney's piece in the Wall Street Journal. He's making the argument he wants the Keebler elves down to one big elf. Otherwise, you're right. going to get Trump as a it's it's right. a it's a cry for help from Mitt Romney, ma'am. 
Yeah, so Mitt Romney wrote a, what I consider a Dear John letter to donors today in Rupert Murdoch's Wall Street Journal. And he basically was saying that they, that any donors, they need to stop funding candidates by February 26th and tell them that they need to drop out and consolidate around the strongest candidates beat Trump. And so the, the idea behind it is that if you are giving money right now to, you know, DeSantis or Nikki Haley or any of these others, you need to tell them that if you are not the leading polar by February 26th and you have to drop out and consolidate. But there's something that Romney is failing in his logic, which is that Trump right now is up, I mean, between 40 and 50 percent in these in, in national polls, also in the polls in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina that we're seeing come out. And on top of that, Trump is overwhelmingly the second choice for people and especially DeSantis and Ramaswamy voters. And so when you add that up, if you take the DeSantis number, which is dwindling, but and and the Vivek number, and then the Trump number, that puts him well over 60, 64%. And even if you're just taking half of those down, that puts you at 56%. So who are you consolidating at this point? You're consolidating like Mike Pence's 3% and Nikki Haley's 4% and Burgum's 1%. You're still getting to like 15% of these consolidated folks to drop out. So Mitt Romney is uh, also an ironic person to offer this advice, considering in 2016, if you remember, he literally split his, he endorsed both John Kasich and Ted Cruz, just saying anyone but Trump. So he's, he's giving advice. I mean, I guess he maybe learned his lesson from that time, but the, it, it doesn't matter. The, Trump is the, too the, far the, up. So this consolidation the, theory. Is the, 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 time, the time, the time, this consolidation theory, and you're going to hear more of it, is that they're basically saying before Super Tuesday, if you go through the first four primaries, essentially, they got to pick, everybody's got to get back a one guy, and that one guy has got to be the guy, the one person, Nikki Haley, whomever, has got to be, that's what, they're, that's what he's trying to signal, that. Everybody can, the Keebler elves can run around. I mean, he'd like them to drop out beforehand, but no later than 26. The donors got to tell guys, if you haven't consolidated to be the leading competitor to Trump going into Super Tuesday, we only got to have, we have to have one person in back of them, right? This is the never Trump's uh, strategy, right? Yeah. And there was there was one insightful thing in this piece, though, from Romney. So he said that donors may think that party leaders can narrow the field. Not so. Candidates don't listen to party officials because voters don't listen to them either. And the last people who would ever encourage a candidate to withdraw are the campaign consultants who want to keep their jobs. And I found that insightful because it is true. I mean, our party, we don't trust our party officials right now. You and I have talked about that endlessly, about how they don't trust the RNC. And and it is true that like that they can't deliver that message. And the only thing that a lot of these candidates, they, they do just, they listen to their donors. And it's also why I think DeSantis came out so flat and just died because immediately he, he gave a, actually a, what I thought was a strong answer to Tucker Carlson on Ukraine. And then he got, you know, called by a bunch of his Wall Street donors who, you know, can't even technically be giving to him because of pay to play, who said, oh, you can't give that answer. And so then he botched it again and then botched it again. And what was the play of, of announcing on Twitter? That was a donor play too. Oh, you'll get all this money. Go with David Sachs and Elon Musk. It was DeSantis listening to the donor class that got him into this predicament and just killed his campaign upon arrival. And he's never going to be able to get out of it. And so by Romney's saying that point, he's not wrong. It is the donors who do make a lot of these calls, but it's also why Trump does so well. Trump is not driven by donors. That's why a lot of people say, oh, Caroline, a lot of these donors, are, are they going to come home? I'm like, I, I think they will end up coming home, but Trump's certainly not losing any sleep over it at night because he doesn't answer to the donor class. He answers to the people, and that's why he's going to end up at 50% way or more in all of these primaries. Um, I want to go to Biden, while they're not even running a while they're not even running a campaign, a huge article I think it was in the Washington Post that lays out all these they've they've outsourced these outsourced side groups 
that have money. For, who knows where it comes from? It's $2 billion. And as you've warned people, this is the real campaign. They're going to come and drop a $2 billion brick on our head in these battleground states. The money comes from Arabella advisors. That, so that's, we, we know where it comes from. And it is, an, it is a, an, a just blank check that they have. And so $2 billion is probably the, the, the bottom of the barrel of what they're going to spend. And you're already seeing it. You're seeing that money being just, they spend it very wisely. I mean, they spend it in certain counties and just to drive up vote totals in Philadelphia, Milwaukee, Detroit, Atlanta. And that is how it, we struggle so much to be able to catch up. And you have, if I were if I were running a Biden campaign, I, I wouldn't run a campaign. Why do they need a campaign? Katie Hobbs didn't run a campaign. John Fetterman didn't run a campaign. Joe Biden didn't run a campaign. They don't have to campaign when they break the system. And they are able to infuse and up their vote totals in these major cities. And we have not figured out a way to catch up. And there's no leadership within our party who's strategizing on how to do this. If it were up to me, I would say I think we probably need to abandon attempting to con convert independent women. I think that we're going to it would cost billions of dollars to running TV ads and different things. I think that we can run up our vote totals in the rural communities. We can run them up in the churches. Go find and register more of the like hard, you know, 70% plus Republican areas of the states and do what they're doing, but do it in the rural communities. But I'm not seeing any one group sort of leading that. And we are up against so much money that it is terrifying. But I, I don't expect to see Joe Biden campaign necessarily like at all. He'll probably do a couple of events, but he doesn't have the cognitive function to actually show up at any of these events, and nor does he need to, because they know exactly how many votes they need a bank to win. With your your warning to, to donors and to the Trump campaign right now about what reality is, and you're 100% correct, two billions, the, 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 the under, not the over, right. and it's Arabella and these other groups, we don't know where this money's coming from. What would be your warning of what action needs to be? Forget the RNC, that's a disaster. All they're doing is spending time setting tra traps for Trump in the primary. But to big donors who are serious about saving the country, even people who don't like Trump and President Trump and his senior staff, what would be your warning today about what actions they need to take immediately about the real threat, which is the two billion from the outside groups? It's hard to say that I would give a warning to the Trump campaign. Campaigns are not built to have to do this. They can only accept it or $3,300 as we talked about and just... Biden does not have a campaign. It's not campaigns who should do this. The campaigns are there to support the candidate and make sure he can get his message out. I think Trump is running the best campaign I've ever seen. I think the operation around him is the best that I've ever seen. But they will never be able to raise the money to be able to do this. It has to come from outside groups and 501c3s and 501c4s and not these super PACs. And so my advice is more to the donors. Stop and think and ask questions before you write money. Because if you're just giving to super PACs, they make money and are incentivized to run television ads. And nobody's watching television ads. It's not what's winning elections. It is the ground game. And so I would find and support local groups that are going to focus on registering voters in their communities and focus on communities that are what we call R plus eight, which means highly dense Republican areas and focus on registering and turning out those people. You can do that through organizations. 501c3s can register voters. And they can't ask which party affiliation you are, but that's why I say you go to the heavily R areas. And so it is it's tough to say exactly. There's no one group that is a solution or answer to solving this problem right now. There are super PACs popping up saying that they're going to be the lead ones and get out the vote. It's frankly not even super PACs that we should do and get out the votes. It's 501c3s and 501c4s. 
And so I don't, you know, as far as advice to the Trump campaign, the advice is I, I hope there are others outside of the Trump campaign organizing to help him do this because Trump has enough on his plate right now. He's getting indicted every other day. They're getting, like their whole team is getting sued, having to go to court constantly. They're having to run a presidential campaign that's being run beautifully as evidenced by the fact that Trump is crushing the rest of the primary field. And so we need to be asking ourselves what we can do to help President Trump and his campaign. Uh, Caroline, your social media, how do people get to you? Sure. It's at Caroline Wren. Caroline Wren, and that's on all uh, platforms? All platforms. Caroline Wren, thank you very much for joining us with your hard-hitting and uh, rational and realistic advice. Thank you. Thank you. Joe Allen's been working on his project. Make sure this book gets uh, out by the 29th of August, but I've got a cold open. Let's hit the cold open of Joe, and I'll get Joe in for a couple of minutes for his break. Meet Amazon One, the fast, convenient, contactless identity service that allows you to enter, identify, and pay using only your palm. Ditch your wallet and just hover your palm over an Amazon One device to enter, identify, and pay wherever Amazon One is available. So go for it. Well, you can now pay for your Panera sandwich with the palm of your hand. You've heard that right. The restaurant chain partnering with Amazon to test its palm reading payment technology. We want to bring in Naren Chowdhury, Panera Breads. How exactly does this work? Because it might scare a lot of people. I think uh, use of uh, biometric identification is happening all around us, as we know, on airports, etc., and supermarkets already. So I just see this as a natural evolution of using biometric technology uh, to drive convenience, loyalty identification, and payment. Swiping and tapping our cards and our apps uh, are not just the easiest way to spend money, they're the safest way, unless, of course, we misplace our phones or our wallets, and then it's a nightmare. And soon your hand may be all that you need to buy anything that you can afford and many things that you can't. Because a company called Walletmore is developing a very teeny, teeny, tiny chip. You see it there in the x-ray? <laughs> that should creep you out. Um, the, the chip is like the ones that are found in smart credit cards or debit cards, uh, and the chip gets embedded just under your skin and makes your whole hand a credit card. It gets inserted into your skin. A chip, and not the type you eat, but a microchip, has been implanted in Brandon's left hand. So after that was inserted and it, the swelling went down, uh, I'm able to open up the front and back door to my house. I can uh, walk up to people and have them tap their phone to my hand and instantly transfer my contact information, my portfolio, my COVID vax card. The slogan of the Antichrist is peace and safety. Peace and safety, cyborgs. Uh, Joe Allen, the book is Dark Eon. It's a tour de force. That lays out all of this to people. What did I just see? Well, Steve, that was just a, a kind of prime the audience to hear that Amazon is now rolling out their palm payment system in every Whole Foods store. Uh, as it turns out, you know, we covered this uh, months ago. Actually, we covered uh, the Amazon One palm pay palm payment system and a number of other biometric systems uh, since I've been on. And uh, it's always been a question, how will it catch on? Will people actually use it? Uh, right now, Amazon One Palm Payment is at 3 million users. Apparently that's climbing fast and fast enough for the company to roll out at all Whole Foods stores. Uh, it's being rolled out obviously in Panera Bread as we heard there. It's being rolled out in entertainment venues. Uh, 
including my own uh, Nashville's Bridgestone Arena. Uh, it's being rolled out in airports, and that's just part of a much larger wave of biometric identity being central to access to the goods in society. Uh, that includes uh, the uh, the eye scan that is used by Clear. Uh, you see that in airports all over the place, and those lines are only growing. And maybe most insidious, Steve, Sam Altman's startup WorldCoin, which is developing World ID, which is also an iris scan. It's a biometric blockchain-based world identification system uh, that's intended to be normalized you know, across the planet. Uh, it's, it's slow growing, I guess you could say. Right now, it's accumulating membership at about 40000 per week, according to Fortune, uh, when we covered this last month. But all of this is to say that the fourth industrial revolution is certainly upon us. The convergence of the physical, digital, and biological worlds. Uh, right now, it's a matter of consumer choice. Do you want to do it or don't you? Uh, but I think that a lot of people in our audience and really across the world realized after COVID that things that are optional today may not be optional tomorrow. So you have to brace yourself and be ready to push back. Dark Ian is the book. How do, uh, how do folks get it, uh, Joe? Well, you can get a pre-sale at Amazon, but I recommend go to bookshop.org. It's now up at bookshop.org, uh, something outside the beast, available for pre-sale. You can find links at the top of my social media, at J-O-E-B-O-T-X-Y-Z, Twitter and Gitter, warroom.org under the transhumanism tab, and jobot.xyz. And palm payments are not taken. Joe Allen, you're a patriot and a hero. Thank you very much, sir. Can't can't wait for the book to come out. So Tour de Force is going to be a blockbuster. Go get it now. Order your book now. Okay. I will commit to you at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, Eastern Daylight Time. We will be on fire when you're back in the war room. See you then. For War Room veterans, you know we have been all over this supply chain issue with China and medications and the uh, active pharmaceutical ingredients. China has a stranglehold on us where there's a way to break that. Jace Medical. I got an emergency medication kit from them. The FDA just declared a global shortage of medication and warned that critical antibiotics are in extreme short supply across the United States. But you know that. Because you're a viewer or listener of the show. Now, here's the action you can take to correct. Do yourself and your family a favor and get your Jace case right now. It's a pack of five prescription antibiotics you'll have on hand for common emergencies. Just visit JaceMedical.com. That's Jace, J-A-S-E, JaceMedical.com. Take a few minutes and fill out the form. Your information will be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medication will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. You'll be glad you have the Jace case. Go to Jace Medical. That's one word, J-A-S-E, medical.com, and enter code Bannon at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code Bannon at Jace, J-A-S-E, medical.com. You know what the problem is because you've watched the show. You can break, you can take action and break that problem by going to Jace Medical and get your Jace case today. Action, 
action, action. Folks, let me tell you about Salty. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code WARROOM at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code WARROOM at checkout to save 67%. Do it again. WARROOMHEALTH, all one word, WARROOMHEALTH.COM. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there. Do it today. Check it out. 